Catalina Villegas and I'm a reporter and anchor at Spectrum News One. I am a Latina and I absolutely love my job as a journalist, a communicator and a storyteller. So you've been doing this for a few years. I'd, I'd love to hear how you got fascinated with and interested in becoming a journalist. Was it when you were still in Colombia or after you came here? Just Can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, so I came here from Colombia quite a few years ago, yeah. uh, just over 20 years ago. So I was still uh, a child then. And I honestly didn't even think of journalism ever really about uh that never really crossed my mind. Uh, it was when I was in college and someone approached me, I was, I was doing a political science major and someone approached me and asked me if I wanted to be in their show. I wanted to co-host a show with them. And I was like, well, why not? You know, sure. I'm in college, what do I have to lose? Yeah. Um, so I decided to go for it. And then I kind of learned about this a media world that had never really occurred to me that was like a career or a profession and through that I, I kind of slowly started uh, doing internships and getting more and more interested in it and eventually I was like no this is what I want to do this is this is my career uh, so it was it was very uh, random it was it, it just kind of all of a sudden came to me it wasn't a lifelong dream at all yeah. but uh but it's something that i enjoy tremendously yeah well it's obvious when i watch you it's easy to see that you're enjoying it and the way you have an ability to draw people out as well when you interview them is really cool so political science that was your major prior to that what uh what drove that aspiration you know i think um when it came to this country it was i i didn't really know any english i was nine years old when, when I moved here. And so uh, I ended up watching a lot of TV in English. That was one of the things that my mom pushed a lot on me, like watch a lot of TV in English, watch, like hear a lot of radio in English, a lot of books in English, everything. So I would just be immersed in the language yeah. all the time. And uh, I started watching a lot of kind of late night political comedy uh, and that really piqued my interest. And then I watched a lot of the CNN and I don't know, it, it just, uh, something kind of developed inside me. I was constantly interested in what was going on in Washington. And my, my government class was the most interesting class that I, that I had, you know, all year long. And I was looking forward to my government class and learning about the constitution and everything. So it was definitely, um, always something that was naturally interesting to me. Sure. And, uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. And, and so that's why when I went into college, I was like, well, this is kind of uh, something that I, I'm interested in. And so I took a lot of uh, political science classes. Uh, and, uh, and I did graduate with a political <laughs> science degree, you know, uh, and all of a sudden, that did not turn out to be my career I ended up going a completely different way. Although my political science degree does help me in a lot of ways. Sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's heavy in writing and it's heavy in analysis and in uh, and a, and a lot of different things, but it's definitely not uh, journalism in the, in the same way. But it also helps. I know from watching you and, and from talking with you in the past that uh, your political science background and, and degree certainly probably gives you some background information into certain stories that come up. Obviously, we've just come off of uh, probably one of the most tumultuous election years in our country's history. 
and this yeah. isn't going to be a political show by any stretch, but I'm sure more than one time you did a report or something on, on the, the campaign or the election or what have you. So I'm sure that that, and just yeah, the degree itself, I'm sure helps you with, uh, with what you're currently doing. Yeah, it really does. Uh, I, I think the other thing about the political science degree is that uh, it encompasses so many different parts of life. Uh, for example, just uh, maybe a year ago or so, I had to do a story about eminent domain. And, you know, that's the topic we covered uh, under my political science uh, major. And who knew that maybe hmm. 10 years later, that knowledge was going to come very much in handy when I was doing this story about eminent domain and, and the rules surrounding that and, and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it, it, it does come in handy. It, sure. it, wasn't, it yeah. wasn't completely worthless. <laughs> right. So you talked at the intro that you love what you do as a journalist and you know yeah. that uh, most of the questions I ask start with the word why. Mm -hmm. So why do you love it? What is it about being a journalist that you love so much? You know, I think it's, talking to people. I love to talk to people. I think it's about hearing people's stories. I think everyone in their heart of hearts is good and everyone has a story to tell mm -hmm. and finding that thing that motivates them, that thing that has impacted them, the thing that makes them who they are and the thing that drives them or, or inspires them to get up in the morning that that to me is uh, is it's fascinating and learning about that from each and every single person uh, it's it's very interesting to me and and so um, you know when I when I go out and um, I I listen to people's stories and they're so very kind to let me into their homes to let me into their lives and tell me what's going on with them you know what, the reason that I'm there and it it, it just really it. it I feel like I'm almost like a, getting a sense of uh, what other people's lives are. And I, and I see it in a bunch of different ways over and over again, um, over, over what my, my career has been almost 10 years now, right? So over the last 10 years, I've seen into hundreds of people's lives. And I, I think I love it so much because my life is enriched, but why, but by the things I learn from each and every single person. And I feel so honored to be allowed to tell these folks stories and to um, share their struggles or their wins, right? Uh, with uh, the rest of the world. Yeah, I found for myself, and I hear you saying the same thing, that when I hear a story, that's great. But when I hear a story and I get to retell it, or put it back into my own words, it becomes so much more part of me for one. And just that joy of sharing, it sounds like you're saying the same thing that you get to not only hear their story, but then turn around and share it with other people. Do you have you done any since you became a journalist since you came here? I know I've seen some of your reels and so forth. And I, I know you're obviously fluent in Spanish and English Spanish is your native language. Have you done much journalism in Spanish at this point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, most of my work had been in Spanish up until maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago that I joined Spectrum. Before that, I was with Univision and Intravision, which is uh, kind of the, the, the just own, it's a different company. Mm -hmm. I won't go into the specifics of sure. the corporate structure there, but um, I did I did work for these uh, companies. Most of the reporting there was in Spanish, the anchoring was in Spanish. And uh, it was very 
gratifying and very fulfilling to be able to, because um, I, I, to me, I looked at it as, as a service, you know, uh, the Hispanic community uh, in general, obviously, this is a really big generalization, but in general, um, they are more vulnerable in a lot of ways to scammers or to um, predators or to uh, different uh, different issues. Uh, they don't necessarily, because they're language barriers, they don't necessarily fully understand um, some of the consequences of the immigration system or the legal system. And so I felt my job was to break down really complex uh, new laws or issues and really um, help them understand uh, in a way that really transcended uh, the, the, the language barrier, whatever other educational barriers there were. And so I saw my job for a lot of the years, especially when my work was with the Hispanic community um, to, to try to um, tell their stories in the best way I could while also giving them uh, tips and, and help and aid whenever I could uh, as to uh, you know, how to improve their lives, how to apply for aid, financial aid, or how to uh, avoid a scam, or how to, uh, you know, make their lives better uh, in little ways. Yeah, I, I used to work in minor league baseball, and a few years ago, I, I became interested, I didn't apply for it, but I became interested in a position down in Florida, working for a major league baseball team in their minor leagues, with the mm -hmm. Latino players, I'm fluent Spanish as well, with the Latino players that came in from other countries to help them assimilate to the culture, the language, to, mm -hmm. to shadow them, to take them out to eat, to take them places so they could learn the culture better. So I, I lived in Ecuador for a couple of years. And so certainly, and we had a system in place that I followed to really learn the language and to get to know the people. But I can imagine it's got to be very, very difficult. Talk about your earliest memories when you came here as a child. What were some of the biggest struggles that you and your family faced? And what were some of the things that maybe some people that took you under your under their wings to help you through that process? You said you were about nine when you came here from Colombia. Yeah, I was nine. Uh, and, you know, the language was definitely a big, a really big barrier. And uh, I'm the oldest child. Uh, I only have one sibling. My sister's like 20 months younger. And so it was, um, it was daunting. Absolutely. Sure. You know, going into an English school system and then all of a sudden feeling like, okay, I have to stand up for myself and I have to protect my sister, you know, uh, and I don't know the language. And, hmm. uh, so it was, it was definitely a, a lot to, a lot to handle. I have to say when I came here from Colombia, I mean, I was nine, I thought I was going to come live in Disneyland. Like, <laughs> sure, of course. That, see movie like, stars in every corner, Mickey Mouse walking down the street. Yeah, exactly. That was my, that had been like my only um, experience of like America, right? We had come to Disneyland a few times and I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. This is awesome. And then I got here and I was like, okay, well, like now I have to go to school. This makes no sense to me. But um, <laughs> this isn't what I saw on TV. Right. This isn't what I was promised. Yeah. So, but, so I mean, it was, it was very, very challenging, of course, learning the language and kind of assimilating um, to the culture. Um, I think, it, you know, the, those first few years, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of teachers helped me um, to, you know, to help help me feel more comfortable. Sure. I was in ESL classes, obviously, for a while. 
uh, as I try to, you know, improve my English and, and, and learn all of that. So I, I, I think teachers um, during those first few years of my life were, were very important in helping me figure out how to navigate this kind of new culture and this new language. Um, it, and, you know, as I kind of came into my own skin uh, as a teenager. Is there a mentor? You talked about teenagers. So from nine coming here from Columbia to in your 20s, getting into this new career and so forth, your grasp of the language is amazing, by the way. I would have guessed that you grew up here your whole life because your English is probably better than mine. Um, is there a mentor that stands out to you as kind of at the pinnacle of that, that person, male or female, boss, family member yeah. who really guided and inspired you the most? Yeah, you know, someone who really, really helped me, and I'd be remiss not to mention them, is um, Pepe Gonzalez. So when I was in in college and university, um, that was up in San Francisco, person, right? That was yeah. So it was okay. Berkeley. I went to okay. uh, UC Berkeley, and um, this is the person that I mentioned. I was, you know, a college student, and they approached me and they said, "Hey, do you want to, you know, co-anchor, you know, a show with me?" And I was like, sure. So this, this is, he was the co-anchor and he's the one that encouraged me to, you know, be on camera and do some on-camera work. And uh, what we ended up doing was for the next, let's say maybe three or four years, we ended up co-hosting a local television show in the Bay Area. It was in Spanish and it was um, kind of a variety show. We would interview uh, local celebrities or uh, restaurant owners and talk to them about, you know, what's going on in their lives. What, you know, what are some of the challenges? What do they have? What do they have uh, happening? You know, maybe a new special, a new menu, a new chef, whatever. Um, but uh, that experience uh, was very eye-opening for me. And he's the one that made that happen. He's the one that encouraged me and gave me that opportunity um, that uh, is, is so absolutely rare. You know, it was kind of like a um, it, it was completely out of the blue. I didn't know him. I just happened to be uh, in the same place that he was uh, one day at a festival. And he was like, hey, you, do you, mm -hmm. you want to do this? Um, so, you know, and he has uh, stayed part of my life all of these years. And, and he checks up on me constantly, asks me how I'm doing and what's going on with my career. And, and, uh, and so he's been someone that, you know, throughout the last 10 years, years or so has always been there for me to to help me to give me tips about you know what to do on camera he used to be a radio guy and so he would always tell me hey you know do this do that you know uh you know you'll have to feel comfortable when you're on camera and I'm like yeah I don't feel comfortable this feels right. really weird right because <laughs> it does like at the beginning especially you're just like this is so awkward what am I doing right but um he was he was great. He was fantastic. He still is. And, and he's just a, a really, really good guy that's always been there to help me and guide me. That's great. So much of anybody's success has a lot to, I, I, I talk all the time that it has to do with obviously our own effort. Mm -hmm. Certainly it has to do with circumstances, right place, right time. Like you talked about yep. the mentors and those around us, certainly blessings come our way. I know you and I f share a, a feeling about that as well. Yeah. Going back to your, your comfort level, I have to forget that there's a, it's hard for me to forget there's a microphone in front of my mouth because I see it right here, but I have to forget that this is actually being recorded and that we're putting it out there. I, as I mentioned before we recorded, I like to just look at these as just conversations between a couple of people 
over a glass of water, or a cup of coffee or what have you. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you get to do a lot, and I know it's in your bio, but I know I have a lot of friends who are in journalism, uh, front of the camera, behind the camera on radio and so forth. You do a lot of community events. Tell me about, I want to get into your mentoring and, and your, your volunteering and so forth in a minute, but in my mind, it's, it's popping up. I can just picture these, these little kids. I picture a little 10 year old little girl, Latina, walking up to you and asking you about yourself and what you do. I know the experience has happened because I know what these community events, although we don't do a lot of them now with COVID, but yeah, pre-COVID. And, and yeah. Tell us, are there any experiences like that that jump out at you where you've just, maybe you've started to kind of shift and be that mentor for others, or at least try to help them along? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you ask me that because, well, I'll have to say, I have to say two things about that. Well, first, yes, it's really, it's really weird to be looked, uh, to have people look up to you for mm -hmm. something that's just like my job, right? Right. Um, it's very strange. Um, I don't know if I'm fully <laughs> comfortable <laughs> with it. Uh, yet, you know, I'm sure at some point, you know, it just, it'll come with the territory. Uh, I'm always just taken back and so um, honored uh, that folks even, you know, consider me as someone who, you know, is uh, a guide for them or sure. you know, when they look up to a role model, right? Um, and yeah, I've definitely had uh, situations like that. Uh, it would happen a lot more as well. Uh, in DC when I was anchoring uh, the 11 o'clock newscast for the Hispanic community. Mm. And, and so since the community is so, so tight knit and uh, it, it was just like a very, very popular newscast, uh, it would happen quite often that, you know, I'd go to, you know, a Mexican restaurant for food or whatever. Mm. And then, you know, they, you know, the owner would be like, Hey, you know, I just saw you on TV. Exactly. Yeah. Take a picture with my kids or this or that. And, you know, that was always uh, very humbling. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely like much rather be looked up as a, as a source for good in the community than anything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, as in terms of that, in terms of the mentoring, I, I it's something I absolutely love. I, it's something I, I do kind of uh, non-officially in a lot of ways. I get people messaging me sometimes like, hey, like, how did you get to where you are? Or, how did you do this or how do you, do you navigate this or uh i have currently i'm speaking with a, a young woman who's considering taking jobs in different markets and so i'm helping her navigate that process of like what is a good market what should she look for uh you know in terms of um it, in terms of pay in terms of position in terms of market size all of those things sure. um but i'm actually now transitioning in making it even kind of more official. I, I currently uh, became, or recently I should say, became uh, a mentor for the LA Press Club's Foot in the Door Fellowship. And uh, it's something that I'm very much looking forward to doing a lot more of. Uh, and I'm, by the way, my DMs are open for anyone that's nice. interested, you know, <laughs> about learning about, mm -hmm. you know, journalism and how it works and how you do this for a living and uh, I, 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 I absolutely uh, love it because I know that I've had so much help from so many people. Like we spoke, um, Pepe Gonzalez, my co-anchor at Univision, Tzatziki Felix, all of these people have, have had such a big influence in my life in terms of helping me get to where I am today. 
um, that uh, I'd be crazy not to pass that down to other people and help them out. How do you keep such a positive outlook on life with all the, I mean, you have to cover the news. So you're covering, you know, I know you do a lot of stories and special features and so forth, but you're anchoring the news. So you're reporting on things that are not pleasant to talk about. I have other friends who have been or currently are in the news industry around the country. And I've asked them that question too, but never actually in a, in a podcast setting. How do you keep that positive outlook on life when a lot of the things you have to talk about are not real great? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I think that if any, if I've learned anything this year, it's that everyone is just trying to do the best they can. And I think that that keeps me positive because I know that, you know, whether you are an unhoused person on the street who, you know, they're just trying, you're doing the best you can to stay off drugs or to get your mental uh, health in check, or you know, to get yourself a job, or whether you are a celebrity that's quietly donating to restaurants to keep them open, or to food banks to make sure people have food. I really think after all the stories I've done, specifically during this pandemic, it's been just so many bad things. I, I could almost draw a line through all of them, hmm. but there's people in almost every single situation, they are they're doing their best and they're wanting something good for their community, for themselves, for the country. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think in, in, it's, at these, it's at times like these when we realize what's important to us, what's important uh, in life. Yeah. And, um, and I think that I'm, I'm really happy that I've been able to kind of to, to see that light through kind of all the shadow and all the fog. How would you say on Fe we're recording this on February the 5th, uh, how would you say that you on February 5th, 2021 are different than you on February 5th, 2020? Because of all the things you just outlined, but what, what, how have you changed and what do you hope to take with you as you go forward? You know, I think that I feel a new sense of peace. And I know that probably sounds really strange because there's been so much turmoil um, in the last year from COVID. There's been so much pain, so much suffering, so much death. And, you know, we just had a, a very serious attack on the Capitol just a few weeks ago. And it's just, it's been a very painful time for a lot of people. But I do think that I've come to a sense of peace within myself, a sense of peace. Uh, I think before I was very much cut off, very much cut off in like the, the, the rat race that, oh, we need to do this, I need to do that. I have to, you know, I have uh, to knock these things out. I have to, you know, and then now it's just, it, I feel like we're all trying our best. Mm -hmm. We're all trying to, get better as a society we're all trying to get better as a country um i've stopped checking a lot of social media a lot of twitter because it's it's hard you know when you're when you're hearing all of these things all of these negative things and and, and i I'm, I'm really trying to focus on on those positive things and and trying to find again that sense of peace uh, in in my community and i want to carry that that forward 
Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I did a uh, a New Year's Day. I sat here in my office and I recorded. I I took excerpts from the first forty or so podcast episodes that I did during twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and tried to draw a line through what do they all have in common. And my first plan wasn't to record anything. It was just to listen to bits and pieces. I ended up putting together an episode that was just at the end of the episode today, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody. And that is what's in your heart. You already knew that was coming, but we'll do that later. <laughs> and gratitude and peace and love and family. We're just, it's amazing how, I don't think any of us in March of 2020 realized that in February of 2021, first of all, we'd still be sitting in this. And second of all, yeah. that we would be looking back, even though the trials have been horrible and the yeah. so much horrible and so many bad things, there's been so many wonderful things too. And that's what I think has inspired me from doing this podcast for the last year is hearing people like yourself and others just say, you know, that feeling of peace or so much more time with my family or my spouse or, you know, whatever the case may be. And even if it's zoom time, like we're getting you and I right now, still getting this time together. If we were in that rat race of a world, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. We'd be off doing something where we would just be quote unquote too busy. Right. That's so true. And I, and I, and I think, even when um, I'm speaking with a lot of these families who have let me enter their homes and are in very, very sad situations, they're very needy, you know, there is um, a sense of this is where we're at and we're going to try to make the situation better. And uh, obviously for me, I can't do anything else besides doing my job and trying to tell their story. Right. And, um, and I'll sit with them and when they're angry, I'll get angry with them. And when they cry, I cry with them because I just feel so much for these uh, individuals who have, have the absolute honor of telling their stories. Um, and, and, and so for me, when I come home and I know that I'm just going to do my job, I'm going to try to do it the best I can. And I have to be uh, at peace with that. There, I have to be at peace with the fact that there's things that I cannot control. Right. right. I cannot control the pandemic. I cannot control the vaccines. I cannot control all these things that are happening in the world. I'm going to do my best to control the world that I control the, you know, my home and then my work and, and do those the best I can and, and, and help the, those people the, the best I can. How have any trials or challenges that you had prior to 2020 helped you? And how do you think the trials and challenges of 2020 Will, uh, you already sort of touched on that, but as, as you've evolved and gone into this new, not new, but this career that wasn't your plan as a child, evolved mm-hmm. really in your early 20s, it sounds like, I'm sure you faced your share of rejection and challenges and obstacles. So first question is, how have those molded you into who you are now and then made it so that you could really adapt more easily during covid that's such a good question. You it's a know, long I, question. I apologize for how long my <laughs> questions can be sometimes. <laughs> no, I I totally understand. I I you know it, usually I'm in your seat asking right, right. questions. It's hard interviewing a journalist. It's like a salesperson <laughs> trying to sell to a salesperson. Here I am trying to interview a journalist who is, makes a living interviewing people. I'm a little bit over my skis on this. I think. <laughs> well, and I feel very much like oh, this is what the people I interview must feel. <laughs> there like, you go. Nice. Um, so it was, it was bound to happen. I, at some point, uh, I had to mm-hmm. come back to me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hopefully um, this will make you a better journalist. Cause you'll hear all my questions. Ooh, don't ask that one. 
<laughs> no, all are very, very good questions. Um, you know, I've definitely had quite a few uh, struggles or challenges in my life. Some of them obviously during COVID as well, but they've helped me, they've, they've propelled me forward. There've been obstacles that I've had to overcome uh, or things that I've decided that I've wanted to overcome. I, I've kind of realized at some point is that there are obstacles in life and you decide to overcome some of them and you decide to walk around others, you know? And um, I think one of them was obviously, you know, I, I started journalism. Uh, well, I did some work obviously in front of the camera, as I've mentioned before, um, that was all unpaid volunteer work. Mm -hmm. And so um, my first paid jobs were all behind the camera and making that first transition to working behind the camera to then being a reporter on camera. It's a huge transition in, uh, in the media world. And making that, making, making that kind of transition, it was a really big challenge, but it's something that I said to myself, okay, I, I want to do this, I'm going to do this. And I set out to do it and, and uh, I tried to connect with as many people as I could. And I tried to talk to as many people as I could about what I wanted to do. And, how I wanted to make that transition and I, and I tried to put a demo reel together and all these things and I made that transition. Then transitioning from, for example, the Spanish market to the English market, huge transition, a huge challenge for me. Um, not necessarily because of the language, but because oftentimes when you're in the Spanish market, you are uh, kind of in this niche market and, sure. you know, the, the English stations, they're a little well, like, well, can you speak the language? Well, can you can you do the job? You know, um, and so making that transition and, and presenting myself as a viable candidate for an English station was a very big challenge, but sure. you know, it, it worked. And and all those challenges uh, and hurdles, you know, helped me to overcome some of the hurdles that I had to endure this year. You know, as a journalist, going out every single day and speaking with individuals, uh, it it's been hard during the pandemic, you know, it definitely, we're trying uh, as best as we can, obviously, to be as safe as we can, but doing journalism in a setting where uh, you can't get um, comfortable and close with a person can be very hard. One of the things that I think, one of the things that make it, uh, that I, one of my tools, I would say, my tool belt, when I go and speak to someone and try to tell their story, is that I try to get close to them. So I say hello and I, and I hug them and, you know, thank right. you for letting me into your home. I, I so appreciate, you know, this time that we're going to have together. I really want to learn about you and I want to learn about uh, what's going on with you. And I want to tell your story. And it's really hard to connect with people at that level when you have face shields on and you have masks right. and you can't be in someone's home. And, and they, all of these uh, physical barriers by PPE, um, as well as, you know, we're doing Zoom right now, right? Um, make it a lot harder to connect with individuals and tell their stories. Um, but it's been the challenges that, you know, you, you just overcome, you figure out a way to get around that, that, you know, I, I think have led me to, you know, where I am today, that my stories, I think most of them still, you know, resonate and still have some um, powerful emotional elements behind them, even though there are all these other barriers that uh, I'm having to overcome. Yeah, we're in this together, right? We're certainly, none of us want to be in this situation that we're in, but the, the fact of the matter is we are. 
And what I'm hoping is that we will learn that when we are back in that environment where we can take the face shield off and hug each other and shake hands and go into people's homes and so forth and do these interviews in person rather than on Zoom, that we don't forget that we went through something, all of us together, and we grew together. It's ironic to me and kind of sad that we had such a divisive election at a time when we were all coming together in so many other ways. And I'm just thankful that we are out on the other side of that. And uh, I hope, <laughs> feels like we are anyway. But um, how do you choose, not your stories, I know that you have a team and your producers and so forth, but in your personal volunteering and where you spend your time, how do you select, you talked about the foot in the door program, I'd love to learn more about that, but also mm-hmm. any other areas where you choose to, to serve? How do you make that choice? What, what, I guess, what breaks your heart is a question I've often heard it asked mm-hmm. is, if it breaks your heart, then what are you doing about it type of thing? Right. Um, you know, one of the things that breaks my heart um, is when I go into these um, communities that are so very needy right here in LA, right? It's like literally in our backyard. Um, and uh, there these people, uh, their needs are so great. Um, they've been affected by COVID in, in, in such a significant way. Um, not just financially, but sometimes, you know, health-wise as well. And, um, and they're still grateful and they still want to share their stories and they're still positive. And that just like tears me up inside yeah. to know that these people um, still have so much desire to live and to uh, succeed and to get ahead in life despite everything that's been thrown at them, right? Yeah. Um, that breaks my heart. And um, I, I try my very, very best uh, to, you know, do stories then that, that highlight that, you know, I, there's one that really stands out in my mind a lot. I did this story and I think I, I, I might have sent it to you. It was about this uh, restaurant owner, Ms. Mm-hmm. B's M&M Soul Food. She is, she's this grandmother she is just this wonderful woman and just like full of love and laughter and uh and jesus and she just she just radiates love and um she had this restaurant in inglewood for decades it it's like two maybe like a block and a half to two blocks away from the new ram stadium Hmm. and she's a huge rams fan huge 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 everything in her restaurant was Rams. Nice. She painted the outside of her building Rams colors. Hmm. Like this woman was no joke, right? Sure. And then because the Rams stadium came, she got pushed out of Inglewood because the neighborhood got gentrified. Oh, wow. And so it was, it was just so heartbreaking to see how this woman who all she's done her entire life is she worked two jobs. She worked her normal job and then she owned this restaurant. You know, she would get off her normal job and then come to her restaurant to, you know, put in the extra hours. And, and, and just, she just, she did all she could to get ahead. And then here comes what she really wanted to have the Rams playing nearby because she, she loves them so much. And then, and then that happened. Um, and then, so the, that, that to me is heartbreaking. And then we did a follow-up story during the pandemic about how she had moved to a new location and uh, 
because the pandemic closed everything. She yeah. had literally moved in like a month before everything shut down. And so no one knew that she was there because she had, she was only been there like a month. And all of a sudden she didn't have enough money to even buy the food to keep her pantry stocked. Wow. And she could no longer serve the catfish. She could no longer make yams for her customers. And um, it was such a heartbreaking thing to, to, to just witness and, and to see. But, you know, I was so kind of determined to, mm-hmm. to do what I could. And I remember I went and I, and I did a story. And then she called me uh, the day after the story aired crying, just bawling, saying that like a celebrity had watched the story and had donated thousands and thousands of dollars. Wow. And it had saved the restaurant. I love that. Isn't that incredible? It really is. Yeah. And I love that you're, you're shedding light on, and you probably, I know there are probably people coming to her restaurant as, you know, as they can right now, obviously right. for, you know, not the way we normally will and will yeah. again soon, but yeah, I, I love that. I think that's one of the things that I really admire the most when a, a journalist like yourself and someone has an opportunity to, to bring to light a story that could change just with a little of the right attention and it happens. So yeah, to be able to, to be that mouthpiece for her to get that story out, that that's, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. She is a really incredible woman and the stories are, these are like dozens, right? There's dozens and dozens and dozens of Miss B's and dozens and dozens of M&M soul foods and, um, it's, it's just a matter of, um, getting the stories out there. And that's why I feel so honored to be able to, uh, share these people's experiences, uh, on the show, you know, my one hour Saturday show at 5 PM. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I always, almost always try to start the show with a story, a feature, uh, that obviously highlights, uh, a local business or a local person that's doing, um, something incredible or is having a particular struggle that we can all relate to, whether that is, you know, I can't connect my internet. My internet mm-hmm. isn't working and my kids like can't do school because I can't get, right. yeah. Right. And that's something we can all relate to right now in some ways. And, and so, you know, I try very much, I think, I think one of the issues with, um, with news that I've always kind of been frustrated with is that news anchors can sometimes be so shiny and emotionless and you know I'm the opposite (laughs) an open book like we talked about at the very beginning and we I don't know if we were recording yet or not at that point but yeah it's yeah yeah and I I I definitely I I feel everything that you know my my characters I call my characters my Mm -hmm. my people my friends I feel everything that they feel um and uh I I try to be very much just uh you know me myself when I am uh anchoring because it's 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 about emotion I I really think it's all about feeling and it's about you know being able to to share that with the audience yeah you want to appeal we can we can hear stories and we can process but until it gets to here, the heart, that's where, again, the pun sort of there exactly. was my last name, but yeah, getting into the heart of why people do what they do. 
I want to ask you a few things. I know uh, we could stay on this. First of all, tell me about your show. Saturday nights, five o'clock on Spectrum News One. You also do a couple other feature stories during the week. Talk about that a little bit. Then I want to get into some of these kind of fun hobbies and things that you like to do. And I'll do kind of a word association with you on some of those. So get ready. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So I, um, right. So I'm a reporter and anchor at Spectrum News One. I do have a one hour weekly show on Saturdays at five o'clock. Uh, it's called Dual Weekend on Spectrum News One. I like to call them Catterdays because it's hmm. Saturday and I'm Catalina. <laughs> oh, look at that. I like it. I like it a lot. I thought maybe you were going to tell me you're a cat lover all of a sudden. It's I, like, I okay, am... well, got to go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I am also a cat lover, yes. but my husband's allergic, so I cannot have cats. So. Same with me. I'm allergic as well. That's what we tell our <laughs> wives anyway, right? Tell your husband. Yeah, that's what we tell you. No. Yeah, I, I really am. Uh, but uh, it's it's fun. You know, it's a, it's a one hour show, but I really try to keep it um, like my producer, Alicia Rogers. She is amazing. She is wonderful. But I really try to do the best I can. I love L.A. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, from the from the onset of the interview, I, I told you that I really believe that people are inherently good and they're trying to do good things for the world. And I think if you watch the show in general, you get the idea that it's not all doom and gloom. Like right. the show it's not is your normal never... 11 o'clock news. That's like another shooting on, on the West Side and stuff like that. Yeah, no. And, um, you know, one of the things, one of the kind of biggest compliments that I feel like we get is that when I go, I was just in Compton last week doing a story about um, former members uh, calling for a ceasefire and asking folks to uh, come together to bring peace to the community. I think it's um, one of the issues with, with some news stations is that we only show up to a community when there's been a tragedy. You know, we only show up to, uh, you know, Watts when there's a shooting. Right. How is the community going to ever trust us uh, and feel like we're there for them and feel like we want the best for them when we're only there to, to talk about the negative things that are happening? And also flipping that, how are the, how's the general public going to think that things are good in most areas exactly. when all I ever see is the negative? It's like exactly. all these riots in Portland, for example, that were all over the news last year. It makes you think the whole city of Portland's burning down. Well, I've got four or five nephews who live up there have said, I've not even seen it. And I live up here and I walk the streets and I go to the bars and I go to the restaurants and I don't see it, but the news is telling us the city's on fire. Right. And I think that's and I think that's something that as you know, news folks, as journalists, as producers, we need to work a lot on that. We need to get better at that. We can't put breaking news on everything. We can't put right. breaking yeah. news banners on everything. We can't call everything a, a tragedy. We can't, we can't, we can't always only go to communities when there's been a hurricane or a disaster or a shooting. Yeah. We need to be there to tell the good stories as well. We need to be there to show progress. We need to be there um, to talk about uh, how a community is overcoming challenges, right? And, and I, I really, really try to do that in the newscast uh, with the stories that I bring and with the stories that all my other reporters at Spectrum bring. We, we, we definitely try to focus um, on the good things, uh, the, the moving forward of the yeah. community. Um, and, and so I'm very, very proud of that. And I, I hope that we can do a lot more of that. In my reporting during the week, also uh, highlights a lot of that as well. You'll see that very, very seldom are my stories that are, you know, oh, something bad happened. 
Uh, because sometimes that does need to be covered. But there's usually always a way to move the story forward. We're telling you this because, you know, yes, violence has increased sure. because X, Y, and Z, or this is what's happening to make, to change that, right? And, um, and so I feel very, very happy. That's why I love working at Spectrum. And I said this at the beginning, because I feel like uh, our, our ethos is different. I feel like mm -hmm. we are trying, our, our agenda is the community and focusing on how incredible LA is and trying to make it much better uh, through our reporting and trying to also remind folks that this is a wonderful place to live. Yeah. We're all doing our best. There are a lot of good things happening in our community. We're going to highlight those things. Uh, yes, there's work to be done. Absolutely. Yes, there's tragedy. Yes, there is uh, turmoil. Yes, there are um, a lot of challenges at times, but we're doing uh, our best and there's people working towards those solutions. Yeah, I love when we turn on the TV, we have Spectrum and when we turn on the TV, it automatically defaults to channel one. Most of the time we'll leave it there for a while. You know, we'll turn it on because we're getting ready to go watch something, flip it to mm -hmm. Hallmark and watch. My wife and I like to watch the good stuff. We we don't watch the, the late night news most of the time. We don't watch mm -hmm. the crime dramas and all of that stuff because the world's stressful enough as it is. I don't need to bring more of that into my house. And it really is. You guys are, are doing such a great job of not just reporting just good news because certainly it's the, you know, the shock factor certainly sells. That's why so many of the mainstream news channels do cover those things. Cause you know, we want to see the car chase and we want to hear about the, the, whatever the celebrity gone bad and things like that, because people just, you know, the inquiring minds want to know type of stuff, mm -hmm. but we're very much refreshed by the fact that most of what we see when we go to channel one on spectrum is that it's, it's good stuff. It's like, these are stories that are going to lift me up that are going to educate me. Yeah. Sad story about these restaurants you're talking about, but those are those can turn into, and the follow-up, the feel-good stories as well. Or, hey, that's a story that I can actually maybe do something about. Absolutely. Can't do anything about the car chase or the shooting or the celebrity gone wicked. But what I can maybe do is something about what you just shared with us on the news. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that you guys are actually sharing some things that are keeping our world as good as it is and making it better rather than pointing out all the garbage. So that's, that's something that's very refreshing. So you have a lot of fun hobbies as I read through and some things that I've read. So I, I'm, I'm maybe not word association as much as just um, we'll hit a couple topics real fast. Okay. You say you love to travel. So talk about that. Talk about travel. Oh, I do. I love to travel Me too. so much. Especially okay. now because we can't, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we will really, really <sighs> want what we can't have when we can't have it. But yeah, it'll come back. It will. It will. I'm crossing my fingers. Yeah. Um, that What's the first trip back? you and your husband are going to take? Uh, well, my, the first trip I think I'm going to take is, is back to Colombia. I want to see my grandma. Um, nice. She's in her 90s. And so as soon as I get the vaccine, I feel like I'll be uh, comfortable enough to do that. I want to make yeah. sure I, I go and I visit her and I say hello to her and, and visit um, the rest of my family and practically all of my family is in Colombia. And so you know, my, my cousin just had a baby and, hmm. you know, it's, it, it, it'll be nice to kind of be able to reconnect with them. Uh, but after that, I'm like, oh, I have a whole list. I want to go to Machu Picchu, you nice. know, I, I, I'm so very excited. I, at some point really want to go to Egypt to see the pyramids. Um, so there's, a, there's a lot on my list. I really want to go, uh, I want to see the great migration. Hmm. 
I'm really much looking forward to it. What about you? That's a t- I've been to Machu Picchu. I was down there when I was in Ecuador. I went down to Peru as well for a while. Um, How was that? It's beautiful. I loved it. I have a lot of friends that have been more recently. I mean, it was the 1980s when I went, so a long, 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 long time ago. But, um, you know, Holy Lands is certainly high on the list. My wife and I have talked about wanting to go there. That would be pretty amazing. My brother has been uh, with his wife and lots of people I know who have gone who just that feeling of being in the Holy Lands, you know, yeah. is, is amazing from what I understand. I love Europe. I've been, I've traveled a lot. I have opportunities. I have a brother on Kauai, over in Hawaii, and I'd love to go see him. I haven't been over there since he moved there a couple of years ago. Um, and just the, you know, we've done a little bit of travel in the last year. We've gone to Bryce Canyon. We've gone up to, That's beautiful. You know, up the coast a little bit and uh, Palm Springs. We're going out there again in a couple of weeks. Just the local stuff we can do here in Southern California is pretty special too. But yeah, just uh, we would normally take three or four trips a year. We had a trip scheduled to New England earlier. Well, not this year, but in 2020, they got canceled. Uh, you know, I'll probably just just drive me to the airport and put me on a plane and I'll be excited. <laughs> you know, where am I going? Yeah, that, no, fly, that flight to nowhere? Yeah, wherever that first flight to somewhere is, that's where that's the flight I want to be on. So did yeah, travel about, is certainly something that I love too. Did you hear about those folks? I can't remember where it was. I think it was in Asia. It was like this thing that you would pay and people would literally pack up their bags and go and sit on the plane for like eight hours. Yeah. And that was like the thing. And then they would just go home and people well, just there was even trip. further. There was that flight to nowhere. They took off and they flew for like seven Did or eight really? hours. Yeah. There oh was this God. flight. That was that flight to nowhere I'm referring to that people got on the plane and then people were up in arms like, Oh, look at all, you know, all the fuel and all of the toxins we're putting in the air. It's like, okay, fine. And I get it. I totally understand, you know, protecting the environment. I'm very much in favor of that, but you know, we're all stir crazy. I, I've heard the story of when the doorbell rings, we understand now why the dog runs for the door because <laughs> any chance to see the front yard, <laughs> I'll go get the mail. I'll go to the grocery store. You mean to do something I'm in. So that's how I've changed. I'm much more willing to just get outside and run an errand just to get outside. But all right. So travel. So another thing that you do that I've never done, and I don't think I will, I'm very claustrophobic and I feel like if God wanted me to be in the ocean, he'd have had me born in the ocean. <laughs> Why I, not a huge seafood fan either. So you want me to eat fish, then, you know, bring them up to me. <laughs> scuba diving. Scuba. Yeah. Tell me about your background in scuba and why, why you do, why do you do that? I don't mean it like why in the world do you do that, but why scuba and how'd you get into it and tell me about it a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I'm a PADI certified open water scuba diver, which is uh, really sounds very fancy, but it's mm-hmm. not. Um, but it's kind of it's kind of fun. It's, you know, it's funny because um, so I'm from Manizales in Colombia, which is in the mountains. But for some reason, my family has always been into scuba diving. Mm-hmm. And so we would always take scuba diving trips, uh, even kind of when I was younger, my family would always go to, you know, um, to uh, Cartagena or Santa Marta or like uh, places nearby do scuba diving and uh, and so it was always a thing we would do and uh, and eventually I got my certification and it, you know it's a challenge for me I think it doesn't come as easily to me as it does to other members of my family I have quite a few members of my family are master divers uh, they are uh rescue divers they actually like work in that field um but uh but i enjoy it a lot it's uh it's definitely a completely different world down there and mm-hmm. i've had some really cool experiences i got to dive um the cenotes which are like the under 
underground cave, underground water caves in Mexico and, and kind of uh, see that world of caves underwater is just so strange. It feels like an alien world when you're down there and you're, it's all pitch black and you have your, hmm. you have your flashlight and yeah, you're you know, not selling me. I'm sorry. You're not, <laughs> all I'm hearing is do, 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 do. You can hear that shark coming now too. So I have this very, for some reason, maybe I saw Jaws when I was like 10 or whatever, but this irrational fear of sharks. So um, I hear you. I definitely, I feel that sometimes like if, if I haven't been in the water in like a while and then I go back out there and I'm like, Oh, what's going to happen? Hmm. You know? Um, but, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, uh, it's always, it's always eye opening. It's always really cool. I always manage to see some really cool things. Uh, we did this like really cool. One time we went to Hawaii we did this very fun, uh, kind of like, they call it like an underwater, uh, camp like bonfire campfire thing mm. which was like lit up with all these different flashlights and so then uh, manta rays would come and like eat and it, it was very cool there, there are all yeah. these very cool interesting experiences and um, very visually stimulating uh, things that you can see that you just can't when you're on land yeah, no, I, I've snorkeled a lot in Hawaii and Mexico and places as well. And I, I do love snorkeling and, and, and seeing that. Uh, my wife's into it big time. She's never been scuba diving, but I do think that that's going to be one of those things that she will do. You like to read. Are you reading anything in particular now? And, and what type of, of uh, books do you like to read? What, what inspires you or what, what draws you in? You know, I am going to be really mad at myself because I don't remember the name of the book that I'm currently reading, but it is a book um, by um, a former president of Haiti. And he talks about uh, some of the challenges, ongoing challenges uh, within Haiti in terms of uh, getting getting the the people of Haiti the aid that they need without having them compromise their beliefs uh their culture uh, you know their future um and just some of the ongoing challenges with uh, the country and you know outside forces if you will from governments and development organizations trying to kind of impose their agenda on the country it's very eye-opening um and i've enjoyed it a lot it's i totally recommend it and i'll send you the information on the book cool. afterwards yeah um because so you can check it out so that's been uh very cool i've been really enjoying enjoying kind of uh seeing that it's been very eye-opening um what other books have i read lately uh i read i should have read a long time ago but i recently read uh becoming by michelle obama okay that sure. was a that was a really good book. It was very eye-opening uh, to hear, you know, kind of her perspective on the whole situation, especially from uh, a, a, such a driven woman, right? This Harvard graduate, you know, right. she, she is a force all on her own. And um, just like hearing her struggle with, you know, having to take care of, of so many things and and in some ways, having to take about her her needs and her desires and her wants, having to take a back seat to um, to Barack's, and uh, it, just reading that from like a woman's point of view was was very fascinating, was very eye opening, uh, and I really very much enjoyed that. Um, yeah. yeah, I read everything from fiction to leadership books to you know pretty much anything I can get my hands on when I have more time. 
over my shoulder, I have Adam Grant's new book called, uh, think again. It? Yeah. I think again, that's something yeah. that that's, that's next for me. Probably going to start on that. Maybe even tonight, certainly something I want to that and a glass of wine and give me a Friday night to read and relax a little bit. Sounds really good to me. What's next for you? What's, I mean, I know, I don't mean necessarily the next career jump, but I mean, is there that, that big hairy audacious goal we talk about in business school that is out there for Catalina Villegas? I always laugh too. And, you know, the Latina anchors and so forth say, yeah, we're talking live to you from Westwood. This is Catalina Villegas. You know, you throw in, <laughs> you can't say your name or say a, a Spanish, a Spanish name without it coming out in Spanish. And I love that because I speak Spanish. So I totally dig it. But as you think about, you know, on the horizon for you, what, what's that big thing out there for you that you hope to get to, whether it's career or, or foundation or just something that you'd really like to do that's, that's out there? You know, that's a, um, that's a really good question. I feel like I've, you know, people talk about oh, my five-year goals, my 10-year goals. Yeah, where are you going to be in five years? I didn't you know, want to ask it that way because that's pretty cliche. <laughs> well, I hear you. I, it's just that, like I've never, I've never laid out my life like that. I feel like, and every time, every five years stretch goes by, I'm like, oh, well, like I never could have even dreamt of being where I am now yeah. if I had, you know, if I had tried to anticipate this five years ago. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I often just kind of, in some ways, go with the flow. I'm so mm -hmm. incredibly happy where I am right now. And I feel yeah. like I am so, I, I feel so blessed but also like my work is having a, a really big impact on the community. And I think if there's anything I would want in the years ahead is that my work keeps having an, a growing impact on the community. Sure. I wanna, what I would really, really love is that five, 10, 15, 20 years down the line is that you know when I do a story on someone in the community that, that their lives are transformed in a way that I can't even imagine, right? That, when I do a story on a business that their lives are even more impacted than they are when I do one now. Right. Sure. Um, in, in that sense, I, I just want to have more power to, to bring goodness and, and wealth and whether that is economically or, or emotionally or spiritually or, or health wise or whatever into these people's lives. I want to, I want to be able to bring as much good as I can. That would be my ultimate goal. That's that legacy that you really want to leave. And I think that a lot of people get into what you do for a living. And I do it here too. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many dozens or hundreds or thousands of people will ever watch and hear this podcast. But if, if my grandkids see it, you know, my oldest grandson's nine, you know, and he has autism, but if he or the other grandkids see this down the road and go, wow, look at grandpa did, that's kind of cool, you know? And yeah, if it has a bigger impact and footprint, that's wonderful as well. Yeah. Tell me, this is a, a kind of a two-part question again. It just kind of hit me and I love asking this question. I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about someone in your life that is just so important to you that when you think about them, you get all the warm fuzzies and you don't have, you can or can't tell me who it is. It doesn't matter because I don't know them anyway. But um, when you think of this person, you just get almost emotional. Uh, it was just full of love. Now describe what it is about this person you admire. And there's a reason for this question because I'm going to ask the second part in a minute. Okay. Wow, this is definitely blindsided me. <laughs> yeah, well, that was my goal. No, just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't my goal, but it's just—it's not in my notes, but it's something that I, I thought it would be a good question to ask you because I, I know your heart and I know what you, you know, how you feel, I think. Um, is this someone that is close to me? Just 
doesn't matter. It can be anybody that's anybody that just brings you that feeling of warmth inside or just if you could reach out and give them a hug right now, you would or, you know, anything like that at all. Hmm. Um, okay. Yes, I have someone in mind. Okay. Now describe that person for us. Um, incredibly selfless. That's, you know, it, it just a T. Um, incredibly, incredibly selfless, uh, always uh, giving to others, always uh, trying to be there for other people, always um, putting uh, other people's needs ahead of their, of their own, right? And, uh, and, and, and wanting the best for everyone out there. Now, part two of the question is, of those characteristics that you just described, which of those would you say are the most important to you that you would like to have somebody say about you someday? Mm. Or maybe they already do. Oh gosh, I hope they do. Um, yeah, I think they do. I think, I think, you know, what I would, what I would very much want is to have someone say that she is very, very selfless and yeah. always, you know, always wanting uh, good for others. Yeah. And that's come out in this interview. What's hit me really hard and the reason that, that triggered me to ask that question that way is because what's come out for me in talking with you today is that impact you want to make, that what lights your fire about your current role in your life, not even your job, it's your role in life. This is what you do, it's who you are, is shedding light on people who might not otherwise have that opportunity, helping somebody who has not had the opportunities that you've had, helping a, a business owner who otherwise might not have food in their pantry, as you alluded to earlier, to get that opportunity. So I think that's really cool. I oftentimes will ask somebody in conversation and sometimes on here to describe kind of their favorite person and then, you know, flip that back to, okay, how do you want to be, how do you, not so much, how do you want to be remembered or what do you want on your tombstone? Those are cliche as well. They're, they're powerful, certainly to think about, you know, what do I want people to say about me at my funeral? That comes up I guess as I get older, you know, I'm 56. I got you, got you back a few years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my dad's 94, just turned 94. And so it's a conversation he and I have from time to time. Mm -hmm. But no, I think that's really, it's awesome to be thinking in terms of that. Because I think if we think now in terms of how we want to be remembered, it helps us map our life a little bit. So you have listeners. I have some listeners as well. Not many, but some who speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. So take a moment if you want to share. I'm going to ask you... Um, well, before I do this, how do people get in touch with you? You said your DMs are open and so forth. If somebody wants to reach out and has an idea for a story or just mm -hmm. is impressed by you today and wants to learn more about your background or for whatever reason wants to reach out to Catalina Villegas. Mm -hmm. How do they see? Did I say that right? That you did. That was right, very right good. Right. With, the, with the je and the double L there. Like, uh, yeah. Colombia, right? Not but in Colombia, Catalina Villegas, right? Yeah. Ecuador, Mexico, Villegas, but Colombia, Villegas. I love it. Yeah. So how do people reach you? And then I'm going to give you a chance to tell us what's in your heart in Spanish, and then we'll finish with it in English. Sounds good. Um, yeah. So my, you know, I'm very easy to reach. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram, and my handle is at Catalina official. So it's O-F-F-C-L official is without the vowels. It's the same handle for all three social media sites and uh, the messaging is open on all of them. So just 
send me a message there. Uh, and, uh, you know, happy to, you know, send you my email or phone number. Or we want to talk and, and, you know, whether that's for a story idea or mentorship, or you just want to say hello, that's fine too. I, I, I can, I love talking with people. That's why, that's why I do what I do. It's, yeah. it's crazy that I get paid to, to speak yeah. with people and, and tell their stories because it's something that I really, I really love. So. That's why I love doing this, just having conversations with amazing people. I've had your episode number 55 of the From the Heart podcast. And uh, so what that means to me is in the last year, I've had at least 55 hours of amazing conversation, which is stellar people, including yourself. So thank you for, for, for this. Yeah, it really is just to get to talk to people. It's really fun. Okay, ahora voy a preguntarte en español, ¿qué es en tu corazón? ¿Qué es en tu corazón ahora? Bueno, yo creo que en mi corazón hay un amor inmenso, muy, muy, muy profundo eh, por mi comunidad, por mi gente, por mi pueblo, eh, por eh, todas las personas en este mundo que necesitan ayuda. Eh, yo no sé, tengo como un, un sentido de empatía dentro de mí y, y siempre necesito, tengo necesidad de abrazar a todo el mundo y, y quererlos y, y darles todo el amor y toda la ayuda que yo les pueda dar y, y eso definitivamente eh, es lo que está dentro de mi corazón, estas ganas siempre de, de ayudar al prójimo y, y, y hacer todo lo que pueda por ellos. Ok, so I could translate and I got all of what you said. And the, for those who didn't understand, I'll, I don't want to translate too much because I want enough flip and heavy say in English to wrap us up today. But just that great love for people and just the, the desire to to serve people and to help your neighbor. And just all I heard was love, love, love and, and loving your neighbor in service. So that was really cool. So before I ask you the last question that I just asked you in Spanish and English, is there anything else? Is there anything you're working on or any cause you're involved with or anything within spectrum news that we should know about that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we get out there before we wrap up um well let me see um i know that's an unfair question you know it's, here's the here's the open it's the college professor and me here's the open essay question now but no i just want to make sure that we didn't end up tonight without uh no i you've you've definitely uh covered it all i mean it's it's a pleasure to be here. I, I love um, getting opportunities like this where I can, um, you know, exit the bubble in, in a sense, uh, because, yeah. you know, I work in some ways in, in a fish tank when I'm anchoring. And it's so uh, sometimes so hard to make that connection with the audience, especially now during the pandemic, as I've alluded to, hard to go into people's homes, hard to uh, hug them in the way that I used to. Uh, in the past. And so I very much appreciate this opportunity uh, to, in some ways, uh, reach um, other audiences and yeah. other people and other communities and uh, put my arms around them as much as I can and, and, and tell them, you know, hey, like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I'd, I'd love to tell your story. How can I help? Yeah. And that's uh, what I hope to, my hope for this time that we've had together is that people will find out more about who you are. A lot of people who will see this and hear us haven't seen Spectrum News because they don't either don't have Spectrum, but they can find you on YouTube and Google and there's so many, all your stories are on YouTube and that's most of the, your stories I've seen, I've watched on YouTube before we, you and I connected when I was getting ready to reach out and ask for you to be on the show. 
but obviously since in the weeks or probably months that we've been connecting and talking and emailing about finally getting you on, on the podcast. So I appreciate that. So you've just been- And the website, been, by uh, the way. Yeah. The website, by the way, uh, www.spectrumnews1.com is, uh, yeah. you know, it's open and folks can go there and, and they can uh, watch a lot of the stories. You can search for my name and you can read my bio. And, you know, at the bottom of that page, there'll be some of my most recent stories and so if there's, you know, there's any interest there and if there's anything I can do, you know, uh, I'd love for people to reach out and, and I'll see what I can do. Yeah. You have a giving heart. That's for sure. I appreciate that. I'd love to collaborate with you future too. I have some stories and things in mind that I'd love to other projects that perhaps we could work on at some point too. So, okay. Catalina Villegas, you said it in Spanish, you've said it in English for the last hour, but you get the final word. Uh, as I ask all my guests, and I've already done it, but I'm going to ask you again one last time, and we'll stop the, the podcast at that point. What's in your heart? So in my heart, I think there is a tremendous amount of uh, love. There is a tremendous amount of empathy and, and compassion, and uh, that's what drives me. That's what. Uh, that's why I get up in the morning. That's why I do the stories I do. Um, that's why I go into uh, these neighborhoods with, that are so, uh, so needy um, and, and, and try so very hard to do a good job telling their story um, because all I want to do in the end is, is help uh, these communities, these businesses, these individuals uh, with all the resources I can and with all the might that I can to help them uh, get ahead. And uh, so it, what I have in my heart is a tremendous amount of love for my neighbor. And um, I, I hope that I can uh, make their lives better with, with my work. Hello, my name is John Royce Lynch, founder and CEO of PCMA Private Client. As a former professional surfer and native of Southern California, I have always enjoyed Wahoo's fish tacos. When the pandemic hit, the response by Wahoo's was unparalleled creating the California Love Drop by supporting frontline workers and those in need. On behalf of the PCMA private client community and our amazing team, it is an honor to be able to support this noble effort. To lend a hand and to learn more, please visit californialovedrop.org. 